On RNIB Connect Radio, we're always interested to hear about people's life stories, their sight loss journey, how it affects them through their lives and indeed how they came through the other side. Today, we are speaking with Dan Williams to hear a little bit more of his story. Dan, thank you for joining us. Pleasure. First of all, tell me a little bit about yourself and your, I suppose we call it the sight loss journey. I have a condition called retinitis pigmentosa. I was initially diagnosed at the age of eight and it was spotted because I was a really clumsy child and I dropped things on the floor and wouldn't be able to find it. Then obviously it was a, it's a gradual loss of uh, vision that over a period of time will gradually get worse. And it's been ups and downs in my life, but I think now I'm truly at the point where I'm sort of embracing it and accepting it. When RP was diagnosed then, were things put in place or a pathway for you to perhaps help with education and so on? I had specialists, qualified teachers with the visually impaired that supported me in education and I had teaching assistants. But honestly, I sort of felt that it was probably too much support and that they were sort of pandering over me and sort of mollycoddling me too much. And so I went through a phase of trying to fit in with everybody else. And then obviously more and more it became apparent to other students I needed, you know, large print paper. I needed a laptop in the classroom. I needed a, a support assistant. And so it became more obvious and it was more difficult to sort of hide it. And I suppose when it got to a point of everyone in the school knowing that I was different and standing out, I experienced some bullying as well. So I had sort of people coming up to me and asking me how many fingers am I holding up, calling me a blind bat and a lot of negative thoughts from other students. So... For me, that was a difficult time to deal with. And I think, you know, and that was partly why I didn't want everyone to know. I wanted to sort of fit in and not be any different. Really difficult, I imagine, for, for people listening to that to understand the effect that can have on a child. You know, you mentioned yeah. the bullying and at the same time, you're, you're trying to be part of this group at the same time. You're almost being torn in two different directions. Yeah, definitely. I felt torn in two different directions. When I become 16 and everyone started driving and getting their cars, and that was difficult for me emotionally to actually deal with because I was a young lad and wanted to drive and have my own car and get a job maybe in the police force where I was being a police officer. And I then realised that that wasn't on the horizon because obviously you have to have good vision to be able to drive and be a police officer. So I then sort of become quite depressed and anxious and worried about my future and what would I be able to do as a person that was going to go blind. And I never met anyone else that had a visual impairment before. So I didn't really know, you know, what the future held. And at that point in my life, it felt quite bleak, not knowing what was available, what support I could access and what job I could do, really. When you look at education, primary school and and secondary school, uh, did the the sight loss have an effect on you academically, you know, with, with the bullying on top of that as well? Yeah, it could have had a potential effect on me academically. I mean, my grades weren't that bad, but they weren't that great. So it potentially could have, but I don't think it did, no. Were there sighted friends, if you like, that were quite accepting of your sight loss and perhaps, you know, softened the blow a bit? Not really. I, I had friends that were sighted and that maybe understood, but then because I was trying to hide it so much, I probably think that they... They didn't really get it and how, how bad it was or to the extent of what it was because I never really explained it. Then equally, I didn't really know what was going on on myself to be able to explain it, to be honest, because, you know, I was just told that I had this condition. I didn't really understand what it was or what it's going to do to me. So it wasn't until I left school where I started to research it and become au fait with it all because I then took my own initiative to start a research and actually empower myself to know what was happening to me. 
But at that point, when I was in school, I just tried to put it to the back of my mind and not even want to know anything about it and not want to tell anyone about it. So it was probably difficult for them. But no, so at that point, I just I left school and I had a range of sort of counselling and support. And But again, I didn't really find that useful because I thought that the counsellor didn't understand. And I was going through a phase of just thinking that no one understood because no one had been through a similar experience to me and that no one really got it. So yeah, so then I then went on to, someone told me about this place where I could go, where it was called the Royal National College for the Blind. And I went to this college where it was about 250 people who had visual impairment and there was canes and dogs galore really. For me as well as someone that has never been in contact with another person who has a visual impairment before, that was overwhelming because there were so many people that couldn't see things. And I saw people bumping into each other with canes and I was like, uh, I don't know if this place is for me because it went from one extreme, not telling anyone and not knowing anything and being in denial to the other extreme where you've got loads of blind people all in one place. And you know that was a big emotional journey for me as well to accept that, you know, this is the place that I was going to go. And in the end, I accepted that that was where I wanted to be. And I met some really incredible people that, you know, I then realized actually, yeah, you can do what you want to do in life. There is support out there that can help you in employment and you know, there are people out there that are doing mainly any job, really, apart from driving, obviously. But there is opportunities out there on the horizon. So that sort of opened up my mind a lot, just going to that college and seeing other people achieve and aspiring to be whatever they want it to be. Was there perhaps a pivotal moment or a turning point that kind of maybe moved you onto a more positive track? Yeah, so the pivotal point in my life was probably, again, going to the Royal National College for the blind in Hereford because I had met other people and I had met other people that had gone through similar experiences to me that I could actually relate to. And I didn't feel that I was the only one going through this change or visual impairment. And that was probably the turning point in my life. What then sort of clicked in your head to say, right, here's what I'm going to do and here's how I'm going to yeah. do it? Because I had some useful vision. I was taking people who had maybe had no vision, like guiding them to shop and then seeing the facial expressions on people's faces when, you know, just for simple things like giving over money and people would talk to me rather than them. And I would tell the shopkeepers to talk to the person, not to me. And it was simple things like that. And when you would go out for drinks and stuff, again, you would always get it where the people on the bar would always talk to me rather than the person that had the guide dog or the cane or whatever. And for me, that was a, a turning point in my life because I didn't realize that they were sort of common attitudes that people just, they avoid it because they don't know what to do. So they just avoid the situation completely and direct the questions to the person that they believe can see. So I then went on to study rehabilitation of people with visual impairment to become a rehabilitation officer, which would be helping me to support people in the homes, making them independent, teaching them about the, the benefits and support that they can access within the community. And then from there, I was working with social services for a year doing that. And then from then I went on to be unemployed for a year and that was the most depressing part of my life, doing nothing. And I was put on a benefit that called me incapable because it's called incapacity benefit. And it was, to me, that was, a, it was perceived that I was incapable. So it made me feel quite low self-esteem and think, what can I do? And again, back to that sort of negative attitudes and not knowing what to do. And I think it can become a self-fulfilling prophecy as well if you're told that you're sick or you're disabled or you're unable to work, then actually you could start believing that that is what you are. And that's what I personally did. And then I sort of went to the job center and I said to them, I want to set up a business. I had, I had a, a plan in my head of what I wanted to achieve and I wanted to educate the world 
on disability and visual impairment and make the world more inclusive. And so I said to them, I want to set up a business and they referred me to the Prince's Trust. So I got some support from the Prince's Trust. And then the last three years, I've been running my own business where I deliver visual impairment awareness training, disability equality training, and also workplace adjustment. So keeping people in work, because as we know, sight loss doesn't equal job loss. And so I do a lot of retention work, so making sure that people are getting the right support and equipment whilst they're in work, but also whilst they're at home, because obviously if they're not getting the right support at home, then obviously their work's also going to be affected. So it's sort of holistic assessments in the workplace, making employers more keen to employ people and not be afraid. And the biggest thing that I've come across is that people just don't know, and you don't know what you don't know at the end of the day. And so people are just not very confident to approach people. They're not confident to say the wrong thing and offend somebody. So they just avoid the situation completely. You know, simple things like, do I tell someone who's blind a color? You know, do I, do I use color references? And people will just avoid the color references. Or they'll say, oh, did you see the TV last night? And they'll go, oh, my God, I can't believe I just said that. Oh, uh, did you hear the TV last night? And, you know, I explain to people that just because you've lost your sight, you don't all of a sudden change your language. Because I was at a point when I was never met anyone with a visual impairment. And then when I went to the college, I sometimes would even feel awkward to say the wrong thing to someone that had no vision it has really been it's quite a roller coaster then dan because you've had these ups and downs and even after that watershed moment that you said at the royal national college in hereford where you know things opened up to you then you were told no uh, here's a benefit just go away now yeah yeah and i sort of felt like i was on a scrap heap and although i had you know qualifications and ability I was sort of just felt to me that they were just chucking me on a scrap heap and not giving me any support to even find a job and there was no offer of support to help me get a job it was just like oh well you're disabled so therefore you have to claim this and just do nothing and you don't have to come in for years on years or whatever and just sit down and do nothing and for me that was just soul destroying because I wanted to do something I needed a purpose I couldn't just sit down all day and do nothing that was the worst thing ever. So from that sort of difficult or stuttering start then what does life hold now and for the future? then for Dan? In terms of the future, I want to obviously grow the business, make it more sustainable, and I want to start potentially working overseas in places like the Middle East and Africa and maybe setting up employment retention services or employability services for people with visual impairments in different countries as well. So that's a passion of mine to give people opportunities. To be fair, in comparison to some countries, we are quite far ahead if you compare it to other countries and the other people in other countries and sometimes not even given an opportunity to even get a job in the first place. So that's something that I'm really passionate about, trying to get more people into work in this country, but as well as other countries as well overseas. Dan, just finally, if if people would like to learn more about, say, your company Visualize, how can they do that? So they can contact me on 07472-305-268 or www.visualizetrainingandconsultancy.co.uk. Dan, wish you the very best of luck for the future and thank you for telling us your story here on RNIB Connect Radio. Great, thank you.